And uh, your rebuttal, Mr. Carville. Uh, we have no response. That was perfect. That's the way you do it. That's the way you debate. It's time for another edition of the Publix and Privates OK Preps podcast, presented by Scordle. And now, here are your hosts, Ben Johnson and Michael Swisher. All right, it's the episode you guys have been waiting for. Uh, welcome into another edition of the Publix and Privates OK Preps podcast, presented by Scordle. I'm your host, Ben Johnson. Uh, big shout out to Tom Nelson, as always. Uh, I don't know if you guys noticed last time, but I forgot to put our intros last time, so... Not going to forget this time. It's already there. And uh, welcome to my co-host, Michael Swisher, who um, I would assume is having a nice summer at this point. But it's summer, finally. Um, you know, hitting those triple digits, finally uh, getting some of that summer weather. Got to love that. Um, love feeling 110 degrees out there. But uh, I'm sure Tom noticed you didn't get it because he probably didn't get his royalty check in the mail for uh, for not getting that intro last time. Um, I mean, if he wants a royalty check, he's best not contacting us. Because uh, we don't have that kind of pull. <laughs> we know who to send him to, right? That's right. Exactly. We we have a phone number we can uh, send him along to, and uh, you know, just one of those wipe your wipe your hands clean of whatever's going on because um, that's above our pay grade. Yeah, we don't sign those checks. That's right. Uh, but yeah, welcome into another edition, Publix and Private OK Preps podcast. Um, we're actually going to get into the topic of the name of the podcast. We're going to discuss some publics and privates uh, issues, as in public schools getting mad at private schools and private schools defending their stance to actually compete against public schools in Oklahoma. Um, later on in the episode, we're going to have cash and football coach Lynn Shackelford on. Um, if you're a Twitter user of any kind, you know that Coach Shack is a proponent of and he's basically a anti-public school truther, I guess you could say. He uh, he wants everyone to play by the same rules, and you know, obviously, doesn't feel like the private schools have the have the same playing field. And going to get him on talk about the public side of it, and then also going to have Bishop Kelly, athletic director Lance Parks, to come on um, and kind of describe you know how how it is on the other side of the fence and. Um, I've, just been wanting to get some general discussion going on because I think going way back to one of our first couple episodes, we it happened right around the time that people were stirring it up on Twitter again that you know private schools had this advantage. And I remember Eddie Eddie Radosevich came along and said, you know, why don't you just go in? And you know, we kind of talked a little bit about it then, but now we're actually going to have some other people talk about it rather than ourselves. Yeah, it's kind of that was honestly. Um, Eddie's tweet was the one that kind of helped helped us garner the name of this podcast because that was right around the time we were about to start the podcast and and, and we'd hit up a few people saying, "Hey, man, we you know we need to come up with a, a catchy name for this." And uh, the Ben and Michael podcast really just didn't didn't really uh, doesn't move the needle. No, not at all. In fact, it might have moved it backwards a little bit. And uh, and and Eddie sent out that tweet, and and then Shaq got involved in the discussion and. Uh, uh, you know, several other people, Gabe Eichert, I think, got involved in it. And so, man, you know, that public and private is going back and forth. I was like, man, what about publics and privates? And 
and uh, so hence the name of, uh, of this podcast was born. So yeah, finally going to get into some of that discussion. And uh, like you said, it's, you know, one side feels very strongly one way and uh, the other side feels quite strongly the other way and, and maybe feels a, a little misinterpreted uh, on some things. So uh, it, it'd be good just to have the discussion. And, and, and this isn't coming from a, you know, you and I are going to be, be right in the middle. Of course, you know, you know, I have some thoughts one way or the other, and, I, and I'm sure you do too. But uh, you know, just kind of give people on both sides of the aisle a chance to kind of answer some questions. And, and uh, you know, maybe, maybe uh, people out there will have a better understanding of, of, of where both sides are coming from. Yeah, well, at the end of the day, we're just but we're just Switzerland here and trying to play peacemaker. Yeah, that's what we do right here. That's right. Make, and, make it, the peace. and circling back to Eddie, I mean, he he's got his hands full with the horn horns up for peace movement. So I mean, we we can't get him too involved at this point. He's got plus. We'll give a shout out to the Sooner Scoop podcast. Go listen to those guys; they're great. Yeah, and uh, honestly, that's about my favorite podcast to listen to right now, and. Uh, so yeah, um, yeah. De- Eddie uh, Eddie was kind of the newsmaker of uh, the, the Big Twelve Media Days um, with his you know movement that he started last year, and, and the old horns down, horns up actually kind of became a <laughs> news item at, at Big Twelve Media Days, which just goes to prove how worthless conference yep. media days actually are. Which means everyone is now circling Big Twelve basketball media days in Kansas City, right? this are now googling big 12 media days to see if it actually exists that's right one thing i did i didn't even warn you about this but i was going to ask you i saw uh, a tweet from dusty dvorak talking about skyline chili in cincinnati and talking about overrated food establishments i don't know if you happen to have one but i threw it out on twitter not too long ago that uh, andalini's is one that i find highly overrated in the tulsa area <laughs> Uh, I'm very much in the minority there, but I don't really care. Um, that's where I stand. Um, and I know you're a big food guy. I'd like to know what you find overrated in the food food realm. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting point. There's like there's not a place that jumps out to me because I I saw that tweet too, and I actually saw somebody that, that tagged Aishans in that. Um, I actually ate at Aishans last night, but some people feel that way. You know, I mean, to each his own. I mean, some people you know think that you know. Chicken one way is great, and, and and it's just not the taste for others. Um, Andalini's, I've eaten there once in my life, and maybe the best garlic knots I've ever had, and I think that maybe that skewed my entire opinion of the place. The garlic knots are fantastic, but I, I'm just not big on the pizza. I'll, I'll make that stance pretty clear. So it's you know not, not worth the wait is what you're saying? Pretty much. I, I, I don't know that I'm a big pizza snob is the problem. Like I just, you know, a lot of people like big extravagant pizzas with a lot of various toppings i if you give me a good cheese pizza i will shut up and go on my way hey dude i to, i will go to my grave and and part of this i mean i, I lived on them at auburn and uh, uh you know when i was going to school because they were cheap but i will still go to my grave saying totino's frozen pizzas they, they were a dollar a piece back in, cheaper than that probably when i was going to school Still, <laughs> I don't care what pizza you put in front of me. If you put a Tatinos in front of me, I am as happy as, as you can get. So it, it, it's hard for me to say I would be a pizza snob either. That's right. So, um, you know, I'm more than happy to be swayed if Andalini's wants to come on here and um, defend their stance. Um, I'm willing to eat any and all pizza that maybe have, uh, to sway my opinion. And then uh, 
they're more than happy to sponsor the podcast. Well, I'm just saying, you just killed the chance of this being the Publix and Private So K Preps podcast brought to you by Andalini's, but, uh, you know. That's fine. I'll, I can. I know where Hideaway, I know. I know how to contact Hideaway or Mazias. I, I do think it's a very interesting debate, though, between the the whole In and Out and Whataburger thing. I think a lot of it is the because I know that's where some of that debate came from. Um, a lot of it is you want and desire what you can't have, and here we can't have In and Out, at least not on a regular basis. Dallas is as close as it gets for us. Um, and, but I do think uh, we don't appreciate Whataburger enough. And oh, I, man. I know the Squirtle crew does because we, Absolutely. we literally have group texts about this. Um, we, we have group photos about this. <laughs> true. I've Yes, I've, I've teased the, the rest of the crew enough on that. But, uh, it, you know, and I'm kind of a um, – just in the last few years, I've, I've just really come to appreciate Whataburger so you know maybe I, I didn't appreciate it enough early on but you know I know that some NBA teams that have come and have requested it for their post game meal uh, so you know that says something right there but uh, yeah I, but back to your original question I don't I don't know if there's something I'd have to really put some thought into it to where I, I've built something up or it gets built up by others and I've had it and I've just got like eh, I yeah. don't know now, honestly you know, probably in Oklahoma City and, and there's some in Tulsa too um, and here goes our chance to get some sponsorships. Um, sorry, Adam. Uh, Ted's. Uh, people around here swear by Ted's, and I'm like, it's. I, and I like Tex-Mex, I do. But you know, there's a hundred other places you can go and get the same thing. But and I don't dislike it. Right. At all. I don't. I mean, I, I I enjoy every single bit of it. But it's like I don't. I do not make it a point to go there and I will see people that just go head over heels over that place so there you go make room on that hill for me because I'll die on that hill alongside you I I like the free queso that's great I like the free tortillas but like you said there are a million other places that are just as good in my opinion so that's just where I stand with, well, we with have you two revenue streams for squirtles so now that we've done that perfect yeah exactly right and that, that, that'll transition us perfectly into talking some football here about actually we can talk about some dudes who like to eat or specifically one guy, uh, broken arrows, Andrew Rame. Do you like how I did that? And I, I mean, I tried to play on the offensive line thing. That's pretty cliche of someone who likes to eat, but what they call a segue. That's You're a professional. Well, not quite. Maybe one day I'll get there once I figure out how to post-production this podcast properly, but we're not there quite yet. But um, yeah, Andrew Rame, broken arrows, Highly touted right tackle, uh, committed to OU last week. Yeah, I had a story up on Squirtle. I know he had come down to Georgia and Michigan alongside OU, but you know, kind of texting, you know, some of the OU, some of the OU beat guys, and then you know, some of the Broken Arrow coaches. I think it just makes too much sense not to go to OU if you're a highly touted offensive lineman. I mean, you still you see what Bill Bedenboe has done turns pretty much every offensive lineman at that school into a multimillionaire. So something like that is hard to pass up. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm going to reference back to the, um, uh, the Sooner Scoop podcast um, because I, I'm, I'm not going, I mean, you've talked to people about this. I haven't, I'm only going on, you know, what I listen to um, guys like, uh, you know, Eddie Radosevich and, and Josh McQuistion and, and stuff like that guys who, you know, cover a lot here but it, I mean a couple of weeks ago they they were almost convinced that he was headed to Georgia 
and in, in their talks with the the rivals crew for Georgia, they maybe even had some content ready. They were expecting him to commit to Georgia at that time. And now Josh McQuestion said at the time, to his credit, he said the, the the longer he goes without committing, I think the better it is for OU. But it's not looking good right now. Um, and you know he didn't commit right then, and, and it, as it turned out, it, it worked out well for OU. Um, but th- to me, this is huge. Now, he, he's not getting yet, anyway, the national recognition that some people feel he deserves, but I think that's coming. Um, but th- I mean, but for OU to finally, after um, you know the last couple of years, letting the, the number one in-state recruit get away um, to Ohio State and to, uh, what was it, Michigan? Um, yep, Dax Hill. Yes. Um, so this, I mean, this one, it was important for OU, anyway, to, uh, to, to be able to haul Ray in and, uh, you know, um, again, uh, and I'm going to go back to Josh McQuistion, and he's a he's a big offensive line guy, um, but, but you know he calls Andrew just probably one of the best to come out of Oklahoma uh, in the last couple of decades, and that's saying something. Um, so uh, that, I mean, it's, it's obviously a really big haul in what was a really good couple of weeks for the OU staff. Yeah, and you know he's going to join alongside someone from Shawnee and Creed Humphrey, who was was you know, well-regarded coming out of Shawnee, but at the same time, I don't think he had quite maybe the national presence that Andrew could have. But, I mean, Creed has turned into turned himself into one of the best linemen in the country, and at some point he's going to hear his name called in the draft. So, you know, I think if Andrew goes to OU and follows that same mold, I don't see why he couldn't find himself in the NFL draft, say, four or five years from now. Yeah, and, and it'll be interesting also to see where Andrew plays at the collegiate level. Yeah. Um, obviously a tackle in high school, but might be more fitted to be a guard, possibly even a center yeah. um, You know, at OU. Yeah, Bill Bedenboe has paid a lot of money to make those decisions. Um, pretty much since he stepped foot on the Norman campus, he's made every right decision when it comes to the guys blocking up front. So I fully trust that you know, once Andrew's thrown into the crowd of the linemen there at OU, he's going to figure out a good spot for him, and whatever happens, it'll be a great marriage on both sides. Yeah, you got, you got to think so, like you said. Um, when when Bo got to OU, um, offensive line um, as a whole was basically a joke, and uh, he's turned it into uh, one of the best, uh, really one of, one of the best units in the nation uh, the last couple of years. So, um, you, know, you, you you got to feel confident that that Rams made made a really good decision for himself. Yep, and not too long after that, uh, Bixby's Brendan Presley committed to Oklahoma State, so he'll join the likes of Bixby teammate uh, Jordan Reagan, um, Bishop Kelly's Zach Middleton, Plainview's Eli Russ, and there's a good chance I might be forgetting someone else. But I'm uh, pretty impressed with the job that the Cowboy staff has put together here in Oklahoma considering some of the guys that they let get away to Arkansas in my opinion last year but um you know Brendan's presence on social media is kind of blown up um had a really big uh had a really big uh weekend or time at K-State camp and then here recently did a seven on seven one of his catches you know was featured on Sports Center top 10 uh, a guy that has all the potential in the world he's going to be Big-time skill guy on offense and defense. Uh, his brother is going to be the running back. So the Presley name is pretty impressive. And whenever you have someone like Chris Harris Jr. vouching for you, you know you got something going for you. <laughs> yeah, that always that always bodes well for you right there. But like you said, um, for um, you know, an Oklahoma State program that the last couple of years has really been, I, for lack of better terms, ridiculed um, for maybe not 
um, you know, getting some of the, the better talent in the state that, that maybe was within their grasp um, and obviously just being ridiculed for their recruiting overall. Uh, definitely a good haul of in-state talent. Um, unfortunately for OSU, had another good one in, in Brendan Walker from McGinnis, um, or you know who we think is going to be a good one, but but he got away to Oklahoma. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to segue here myself, but but that was another. But you know he was a, a good early pickup for them, um, and uh, you know just kind of part of that a good haul from the, for, for that in-state talent. Now obviously he flipped, but um, you know that was a, a sign of some good recruiting that Oklahoma State had done to at least get him to commit. And I know uh, football is still oh, more than a month away. I know first couple games start in late August, so we still have a little bit of ways to go. So we still have some high-profile recruits to come out of the state. We still have Edison, Savion Morrison waiting to commit, uh, Bush, uh, Booker T. Washington's J.J. Hester, among some of the other guys. I mean, they're going to be all sorts of guys that are going to be blown up. I, you know, It's going to be another great year of high school football in Oklahoma. Um, there's going to be all sorts of guys committing all over the place. Uh, one, I was going to flip the page and kind of let you talk about the Peach Jam. Uh, we had some notable OK Preps guys in, I believe, South Carolina. Isn't that where they play it? Uh, that would be Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, that would make sense. I'm, yeah. I guess I'm – yeah, the Peach Jam, that would make sense in Georgia. For whatever reason, I was thinking there was something in South Carolina. I, I'll be honest, I can't keep track of all the AAU stuff anymore. Yeah, it's tough, man. So I'll let, I'll let you kind of take the floor. I know uh, one of your Kingfisher guys really excelled in leading leading the charge at the Peach Jam. Yeah, the Team Griffin, the 16-under team, uh, won the Peach Jam this past weekend, double overtime over Team Takeover, I believe, which is mostly um, you know Virginia, D.C.-based players, uh, I think, um, uh, a little bit of Pennsylvania. Um, but, yeah, double overtime win. Um, it, it was a non-OK Preps player who delivered the win. Uh, K.J. Adams, the, the beast from Austin, uh, just about a six foot seven stud. Now, these are all guys, like I said, 16 under, so class of 2021. Uh, guys are going to be juniors this year, um, uh, this school year. But uh, K.J. Adams had a monster tournament. Um, he's, he's somebody that a lot of schools are after right now. But some of the OK Prep stars that were on the team, um, J.J. White from Norman North, um, Jackson Robinson from Ada, who has an OU offer. Uh, Trey Alexander, uh, a lot of people obviously have heard about him from Heritage Hall. Um, OU and OSU both have offered him. Um, Bijan Cortez, the one you mentioned from Kingfisher, he also has OU and OSU offers. And I believe um, at least ORU, maybe Tulsa as well. Um, or, or just some of those uh, uh, OK preps stars on that team. So, you know, is it, it, it's... We, we feel like we've got good basketball talent in Oklahoma. Um, now, obviously, they had some help with some Texas guys on here. There's, there's, there's two or three or four Texas guys on the team, but um, some big contributions from those guys that I mentioned um, from Oklahoma. And, uh, you know, they've, uh, they put themselves on the national radar a little bit, and, and I mean, that's a huge tournament to go into the, the, the Peach Jam. Um, that's kind of the, the crown jewel, if you will, of the uh, Nike Elite Youth Basketball League, EYBL. Um, which is kind of, you know, kind of the big thing in AAU right now. It is tough to keep up with everything uh, in AAU and, and what is what. But, uh, I mean, that was a big one. So, you know, kind of a, a feather in the cap for Oklahoma basketball, if you will. Uh, so congratulations to those guys. I know they're really happy. Um, Blake uh, Griffin was there. Taylor Griffin were, were both there. 
at least during the last few games. And uh, I know when uh, when Adams Bucket went in basically to uh, to get the, the, to clinch the two point win, they all went and over celebrated with Blake Griffin. There's some videos out there. So a, a cool moment for those guys. I got to talk to B. John a little bit about that, what it was like to celebrate with Blake and and a little bit like that. And also talk to him about, you know, um, two years ago, Trey Alexander ruined Kingfisher's bid for a perfect year and, and a repeat championship. This year, Kingfisher ruined Heritage Hall's chance uh, for the same. So I asked him, you know, you, you and Trey, you know, give each other the business on that. He said, actually, we don't. We're actually... You know, pre, uh, we, we become pretty good friends. So it's just kind of cool to see that relationship between two guys who have battled it out the last two years at State Fair Arena for a state title. Yeah, that is pretty cool. I, I was going to tell people, you know, if they want to read more about it, I hear that there might be a sizable story in the Kingfisher newspaper about all that. <laughs> hey, it's July. That's right. <laughs> you, you, you being a quote-unquote traditional media person yourself, uh, back in the day, uh, you understand that that uh, you get the stories where you can find them. I also, I also wrote a, a fine story on a Kingfisher team being the state runner-up at the OK Preps uh, Coach Pitch State Tournament too. So yeah, that didn't get, that didn't get quite the, the Twitter pub as as the Peach Jam Championships. But uh, hey, you know, I, I gave some love to those eight and under guys too. What I do know is in the summertime. Any athlete that gives you any quote at all, and you're doing a story, you use pretty much every single quote they give you, so you can take up as much room in print as possible. Yeah, absolutely, uh, because you got space to fill, and there's just not much out there to fill with. And those photos tend to get a little bit larger. Oh yeah, I'm out. You know, a, a two-column photo can easily stretch out to four. That's right. Well, you know, there is one school that is in your area, and it happens to be Cashin, so we can. Segway to Coach Lynn Shackelford here in a minute. I would I say that I was going to mention next week is the OCA All State competition. You know the yeah. Co- coaches clinic games in Tulsa uh, minus baseball. You know they already did that in Enid earlier this year, but uh, got all the All State stuff going on in the Tulsa area. Um, I don't know where you stand on some of the All State stuff. To me, it's not nearly as exciting as it could be. You know, I think it could be handled a lot differently in terms of the competition. You know, if I, I don't know how the coaches feel about the clinic or anything like that, but I feel like the games could be a little bit better showcased, maybe if they were at a different time of year, but I don't know that I don't foresee any change anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, that's tough. Um, it is what it is right now because it's been that way for a long time. It, but, you know, the games themselves, um, they're, they're not as important to the, some of the players as they used to be, unfortunately. Right. Um, you know, it used to be that, you know, that was it. That, that was something you wanted to compete in now, especially some of the bigger, big-time players that, you know, they're already off of college and, you know, their college, even if they aren't, a lot of times um, college coaches don't want them playing in, in those competitions, so that keeps out some of the big-time names. Um, the timing is tough with it being in late July. I don't know what the answer is. Um, you know, we could say move it earlier in the summer, but that's not always you know, uh, quite as easy to do. Um, you know, you, there's a lot of moving parts because it's not just the All-State games. It's also the coach's clinic, and you got speakers, and you got vendors, and you got hotels. But, uh, yeah, but to me, still, it's a, it's a great week um, because because of the clinics and, and, and the coaches, um, you know, getting to, to hear some, some good speakers. 
from around the country and then just some good some of their peers um, you know here in Oklahoma and 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 you know still to some of these kids playing in this all-state game and getting uh, that all-state jacket is a huge thing this is for a majority of these kids this is the last athletic event that they'll ever compete in as far as you know I mean obviously they can go play church mm-hmm. league softball intramural in college all that yeah. This is it. I mean, um, you know, some of those kids that are going to play football Friday night, that's it for them. That's the last time they're going to put on the pads or those guys that play basketball on on Thursday or the girls on Wednesday, uh, uh, you know. So it's it's still a big deal to a majority of these people. Is it as big as it used to be? No, but it's still a big deal. Yep. Okay, now we can do my segue where we bring in Lynn Shackelford. So, uh, yeah, we will move right into the public and private debate with Coach Lynn Shackelford. Coach Shaq, how are you this evening? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Doing good. Um, well, I know next week is All-State Games. Do you have plans to be in Tulsa and kind of, you know, hang out with all your other fellow high school football coaches? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go down uh, Sunday. I've got um, – I'm on the OFBCA board and the OIAAA board, so I have to go down for both those meetings on Sunday, and then it'll be kind of back and forth uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday. going to go play in the – Dr. Diesel horses golf tournament on Tuesday, but yeah, I'll be there. You, are you are you a speaker? Do you have any like big speeches planned to like really motivate people for the upcoming year? Uh, no, 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 no speaking for me this year. Uh, they they don't hardly let you uh, speak down there unless you win it. So maybe that'll be a goal. Okay, we'll see. There, there you go. See, I do. I hear you have a team that has has all the makings of winning a Class A title, but you know those could could just be rumors that I've heard. Yeah, we'll see if they're. We'll see if they're substantiated or not. Uh, we've got a little bit of talent, and we got to put it all together somehow. Well, I hear that there there's a guy that'll cover quite a bit of that, you know, and Michael Swisher. If you guys make it that far, yeah, yeah, um, Swisher does a he does a great job covering local sports around uh, Kingfisher County. So, um, hope, hopefully, we'll be fortunate enough that he's covering us for about 15 weeks. There you go, Michael. Do you do you want to bother Coach Shaq with anything before we? You know, before we get him going on a topic he loves. I got to look at my uh, calendar, though, and see when that 15th week is, because I may or may not have a secret trip planned to one of our uh, favorite uh, um, little places like Disney World that, that, that 15th week, so I, I need to double-check that, because uh, if you're there, I got to be there, too. Well, you know, if, if they do make it that far and you have to go to Disney World and I've already been told that I'm going to be the sports editor of the Kingfisher Times for like a week and a half in December at some point. Yep, yep. You're 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 once again the uh, the ten day uh, managing editor, actually. Oh, sweet. <laughs> Oklahoma's oldest continuously published newspaper. I don't, so it's basically like an NBA ten ten day contract is what I'm going on here. Yeah, pretty much. Yep. Uh, and you do well enough, uh, you'll get that real deal. Fantastic. Well. I guess we've we've wasted enough we've wasted enough of Coach Shaq's time. Um, I know, you know, we've been meaning to have him on for a while now. But um, you know, we were, you know, we were talking about how we named this podcast the Publics and Privates Podcast, and because of the the hot topic in the state of you know public schools versus private schools, and you know the rule that was, that was implemented in 2012, you know Rule 14, that tr- kind of tried to level the playing field. But wanted to get Coach Shaq on to talk about kind of his stance on the public side. So, Coach, kind of, you know, I'll just get, kind of give you the floor and kind of give me your thoughts on how do you feel it's gone since its implementation several years back. 
14 has not done anything besides move the problem around. Um, and I think the fact that there is a new committee formed to, to look at Rule 14 and its merits and what they need to do going forward just kind of proves that. Um, you can't just <laughs> you can't just say, well, because they're good in one class, we're going to bump them up and and, and that'll, that'll level it out. If, if anything, you, you validate them and probably make uh, make it more appealing to go to school there would be would, would be an argument I would make what say okay that's your stance what do you happen to have any like any sort of suggestions to the I don't really know how I'm trying to go about this, but you know, what would be your suggestion to try and make it equal? Do you would you prefer private schools not compete against public schools, or you know, where do you stand on that? Well, I think the first thing that that anybody has to do when you're making this debate is admit that we're not the same, and I think that's the that's the hardest thing for people to do is to admit that there's an advantage to a private school. Um, if there weren't an advantage, why would you have them? Why would you pay to send your kid to a school if there wasn't going to be an advantage over a public school? Um, and, and, and my thing is that the biggest, the biggest advantage or the biggest discrepancy between the two is a private school can say no. Um, there's a housing addition right across the street from a, from a private school here in the city. And I would venture to say that there's not one kid that lives in that housing addition that goes to that private school. Um, that's not like that in any public school. There are no public schools that share a school district with another school. Every private school does. If you decide you don't want to go to a private school, you're in a public school district. That's where you go to school. Um, so there's a lot of there, there's probably a lot of things you could do. Um, one of the things that I think would help is if you said, okay, you want to be a private school, that's great. You're sharing a school district with someone, that's you're in the same class as that school district is. So if you're if you share a district district with Edmond North, then you share the same classification that Edmond North does. Um, that's one thing you could do. I just there's no simple answer for it, and there's no really way that you could really implement anything because of the way the OSSA allowed the private schools to come in. When they when they let them in, they didn't specify that they were any different than a public school, so they can't retroactively go back and say we're gonna we're going to punish you or whatever for being a private school. The private schools almost have to agree to whatever they decide, like Rule 14. Now, I do think you could reclassify them because we don't get a say on on how we classify anybody. Um, they can decide that as far as how many teams are in a class or whatever. No SSA gets to decide that. So they could, they could put them all in one class. Um, one, I think maybe... And, and this is just just a, a slight exception, I, and and I don't even know how, how true it is, but I, I covered all the OSSA meetings back in 2012 and beyond. You know, for two years, when what we called the super committee came up with this Rule 12, um, and, and one thing that uh, and I'm old, so I forget names, but I want to say um, Gary Savely, maybe um, at Bishop McGinnis at the time. One thing that he, that he argued was that if if, if 30 members of the, the Catholic Church showed up at their front door, they had to accept them at Bishop McGinnis, whether they had room for them or not or, or whatever. Obviously, I know that doesn't happen. Um, but, but, but I know that that was one argument that was made by that side of the aisle right there. Um, 
but but for you, Shaq, obviously you're one of, if not the the most outspoken coaches uh, on this subject here. Um, a lot of people defer to you, uh, especially on Twitter. You know, if they see that, then maybe you get tagged in a lot of things. Do you get any backlash um, from being so outspoken? Or, um, I, you know, I would assume there there are a lot of you know. A lot, of, a lot of your buddies, a lot of your, your peers on the public side that get, give you a lot of attaboys and, man, you know, I appreciate saying that. But, but do, you, do you catch any backlash um, from that? That's one thing that you and I have never really talked about. Um, you know, do, 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 you, do you catch any of that anywhere? Uh, a little bit. You know, one thing about, one thing about us, we play, we play private schools all the time. Um, we're going to play four in football uh, this year. So, and we play them in basketball all the time. Um we have to play them in football. We don't have to play Cassidy this year, but we have to play the other three. Uh, yeah, I've gotten into some, I don't know if heated debates would be the right words, but um, I've gotten into some discussions with some guys at private schools before, and, and the main thing that I try to get across to them is not the, I don't I don't care about the recruiting, I don't care about the, you know, all the things that people immediately go to whenever they talk about, you know, scholarships and that kind of stuff. I don't care about any of that. They can... You, you can make the argument there's probably more public schools that recruit than private schools. But there are there are some extreme differences between public schools and private schools. And I know, Michael, you said that, you know, McGinnis has to let those kids in. But that's a, that's a McGinnis rule. That's not. If you're a public school and, and, a, and a kid moves into your district, you're taking them. Whether they're a good kid, bad kid, good grades, bad grades, whatever. Um, and I think the other thing that is a huge difference between the two of us is they can also tell a kid not to come to school there anymore. If you've got a kid that wants to sit in class and not do anything and be a problem and disrupt and be disrespectful to teachers or whatever the case might be at a private school, they can tell that kid, you're not coming to school here anymore. Public schools can't do that. And I think another big difference, and I don't really know how you could quantify this, and it would be interesting to actually do some research on it, but the percentage of kids at private schools that participate in something, I would argue would be a much higher than in a public school. And that would skew their participation numbers in their ADM, in my opinion. So if you're OCS, for example, who's a smaller private school, and you have 250 kids in school, half of those kids are going to be boys, I bet 90% of those boys probably participate in something, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, soccer, whatever. Uh, public schools, those numbers are going to be nowhere close to that. And you being an AD um, probably have a, a, a better understand, grasp of all, all this too, the, the kinds of students that, that you have to count towards your ADM. Um, I mean, all the kids on IEPs and, sure. and, and such. Um, a lot of people, like, I mean, kind of points back to what you were just saying. Some, some, some students who probably aren't going to play athletics. I mean, a lot of those do. I'm not saying that, but but you have to count um, a number of, of, of different kinds of students towards your ADM that maybe don't necessarily go, uh, you know, to uh, a private school or, or that they would be counting, right? Yeah, yeah, and and, and and on top of that, just the just the kid that is just coming to school, he's coming to school and he's sitting in class or she's sitting in class, and they don't they don't participate in anything. They're not in the band. They're not vocal. They're not in FFA. They're not, they don't play football, they don't play basketball, they don't do anything. Those kids are a higher percentage in a public school than they are in a private school because 
I would argue that the vast majority of parents who send their kids to a private school are sending them there so that they can get what most people would consider to be a well-rounded education and be involved in things. Um, whereas at a public school, you're going to school there because that's the district that you live in. And a lot of times the law said you have to go to school. Yeah. Um, so I do think that skews the number a little bit whenever you're classifying these schools, especially in the smaller private schools. I don't know that it affects McGinnis all that much, but I would argue that it affects OCS and Heritage Hall and Crossings and OCA and those types of schools. What is the... No, sorry. Sorry, go ahead. What is the one argument from the other side that really just annoys you the most? I mean, I know a lot of times people, people, they'll just say, well, maybe you should play better. Like, what is it from the other side that really just gets under your skin when people say that? That. that. You just need to get better. Um, because that that's not, that's very seldom the argument most public school coaches would make is to just get better. Um, there's a lot... There's a lot of great coaches that are coaching in private schools. There are. And, and they're working extremely hard. And they're doing everything right, just like they are at, you know, at public schools. Michael sees this probably every year when Heritage Hall plays Kingfisher. I would argue you could swap staffs and the results would be the same. Heritage Hall would be really good. Kingfisher would be really good regardless of the sport. They're doing, they're doing tremendous jobs. They're loving kids. They're coaching kids. They're doing everything right. That's not the point. The point is they're different. And we're nothing the same. And you can't, other than the fact that we have teachers and students in school, that's really about where it stops. So the argument that we just need to get better to compete against them is kind of a slap in the face to public school coaches who are really working extremely hard to try to win and to try to get their kids to be successful. I think that's a, a living in the bubble argument. That's I, mean, I try to stay um, as down the middle as possible. And obviously, I deal with almost exclusively, um, especially with the newspaper job, public schools. So always, I'm, I'm probably going to be skewed on, on a lot of my opinions, but I think the just get better argument um, is, is one of those where, where you're living in a bubble. Um, I think I saw Gabe, Iver, Gabe Eichert make that that, uh, that argument one time on Twitter, and obviously you know, he went to McGinnis and had a lot of success in football and basketball. Um, but, uh, you know, you people can tell just listening to you in your tweets you got a lot of passion about this um and uh, and you can get pretty heated about it but you know you're just kind of mentioning some of the staffs and other uh, you know uh, some of those schools this isn't a personal thing for you as far as like not a personal vendetta against any of those coaches either i would have you know no not at all ben, ben and i have talked andy and brett bogart are two of my favorite. I mean, they are like superb guys, and that's just my dealings with them. I I haven't dealt with them from coach to coach, but those you know Harris Hall guys, I love dealing with them because they they are super to deal with, and I've seen them coach, and I've seen them react with other people. I've seen you interact with 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 private school coaches, and I know you've got good relationships with at least some of them. So this isn't like a I do not like these people. This is a, an issue for you. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I. I've got, I've got great friends that coach at private schools, have coached at private schools. I respect coaches that coach at private I think Coach Powell at OCA does a great job. Coach Merrill and those guys at, at Christian Heritage do a fantastic job. Uh, coach Merrill's dad is one of the nicest human beings on the planet, and I've known him since I was in junior high. Um, and he would do anything for me if I asked him to. No, it's, it's not a, it is not a personal issue with anybody at a, at a private school. It's simply a... 
there has to be something that's done because the discrepancy between the success is you can't argue it and and it's not about winning state titles and that's what everybody immediately goes to is well they're not they're not winning they're not winning a lot of state titles but if you look at the at the percentage of private schools that are successful that go to the playoffs that make playoff runs in football and basketball and you start counting up the number of public schools that are getting knocked out along the way that's where the discrepancy lies and it is it is big and to just brush it aside as well public school people need to work harder that's where it really gets under my skin um that and making it a scholarship issue or a recruit issue or anything like that those are those are arguments that i never get into because i don't care you got to have the right to send your kid wherever you wherever you want your kid to go to school for whatever reason but to, to just make the argument that we're the same when we're not is what really bothers me you know, and us being close to Texas, I know, I think a lot of people look across the Red River and see that, you know, the private schools over there play in their own classification. Obviously, it's a little bit more trickier over here because there aren't, there aren't, in my opinion, probably aren't enough to be able to do that in Oklahoma. Um, and I think you kind of hit on this earlier, but, you know, say you're going to the table with one, one or two top suggestions, what are you going with in terms of how do we move forward to level the playing field? I believe is you can be in, you can play in the public school league if you're a private school you just have to play in the largest one um, and and really I would make the argument that a certain percentage of our private schools especially the ones that probably cause the most headache for people without getting specific on who those schools are could compete in that largest classification it might take them a year or two and they may have some growing pains along the way. Um, but, you know, one of those private schools in basketball this year played, what, eight or nine 5A, 6A basketball schools, all ranked in the top ten, beat all of them. Um, I would venture to say if you if you put some of those guys in the largest football classification, or at least in Division Two in football, they, they would be able to compete. It might, take them a, it might take them a year or two, and they may go through some growing pains, but I would, I would bet kids would find a way to make their way to those schools so that they can, they can be in a private school and compete against the best kids in our state. Um, and I think what it would do to the smaller ones is that it would put them all in a class where they're all about the same. If you took out the top three or four private schools, the other ones could probably compete against each other and, and compete really well. Um, and same way in basketball. So in baseball and the rest of them, most of the, you know, quote unquote, country club sports are all, they're all private schools anyway. So, um, you know, I, I think there are some options, but the problem is somebody's got to admit that there is a problem and be willing to make some drastic changes. And really the OSSAA, they don't really like drastic change. They want to keep it as status quo as possible the vast majority of the time. Awesome. Well, Lynn, um, this is pretty much what I envisioned whenever I asked you to come on here. I knew that we would obviously get you all riled up, and then uh, <laughs> then you now you have to pick up pick up your kids, and uh, you know, yeah, the, they're the ones that have to deal with you the rest of the night. After we basically just riled up a hornet and just set you free is all we did. Yeah, that'd be fine. I'm sure. When, I'm sure once the podcast hits, I'll get some. Uh, I'll get some hits on Twitter. But that'd be all right. 
Let's end it on a happier note. So, uh, somebody's going to Disney World for the first time, Lynn. You being the connoisseur that you are, <laughs> one ride. You go. You can only one, ride one ride at each of the four parks. What is it? Go. Oh, you got to ride Flight of Passage and Animal Kingdom. I know that probably cuts you because you're a you're an Everest fan. Uh, but you got to do that. Uh, you got to ride Space Mountain at Magic Kingdom. Um, you got to ride the Aerosmith roller coaster at Hollywood Studios. Unless you wait about six months, then you got to do the Star Wars ride. Yeah. Um, and then at Epcot, you got to do Test Track. Those would be the those would be the ones I'd hit. Um, well, see, I, I agree with most of that. I would say go do Soren at Epcot, and then you can do Everest at Animal Kingdom. And <laughs> Soren's a lot like uh, uh, the. Uh, the one you mentioned, I've already forgotten the name of it. Flight of Passage? Yeah, Flight of Passage. It's kind of the stepchild. Yeah, yeah, but you know, it was there first. <laughs> I have a question for you both. I've never been to Disney World or Land. I'm not a big Orlando. I've been to I've been to the Orlando airport, I think, but I've never heard really good things about Orlando. So why should, why should I not go to Anaheim instead of Orlando? Well, I've never been to Disneyland. Okay. Uh, it is it is quite Disneyland is basically like going to Magic Kingdom uh, so if you go to Disneyland you miss out on the other three parks okay uh, so. see my my thing is you go to Disney World and if you I mean you know and I'm not the, the high flyer that Shaq is <laughs> but if you go to Disney World you get go to your airport um, and you give them your bags or whatever but you don't have to you don't have to deal with Orlando. They pick you up. They take you to your hotel. They take you from your hotel to every park and return you. You don't have to deal with anything Orlando. You can just live okay. All right. in the Disney World bubble and never, other yeah. than the bus ride to and from the airport, you don't have to deal with Orlando. Okay. Yeah. All right. Like, if, if, you woke, if you woke up, you slap on the bus, you wouldn't even know where you were. You just exactly. in a completely different country. Okay. All right. These are good things to know because now I know who to turn to when I when I finally plan a Disney trip at some point. And you need to go. Okay. All right. No doubt. All right. Well, Lynn, thanks for joining us, and uh, we will catch up with you later on. You bet, man. Appreciate it. You bet. See you later. See you. And now we are joined by Bishop Kelly Athletic Director Lance Parks. Lance, how are you this evening? I'm great. Thank you very much for having me. You bet. Um, you know, like we asked Coach Shaq earlier, um, Coach's Clinic coming up next week. You got any big plans? I know there's not a whole lot of travel involved for you having to go from, you know, the 41st and Yale area to 81st and Lewis, but what about taking in some of the clinics next week? Sure. I, You know, I don't know if you realize this or not, but the athletic director portion of the uh, Oklahoma Coach Association Clinic actually broke away this year. Um, oh, that's and, right. <laughs> Had it in June. Yeah, right? that's right. So the usual, the things that I go to at the clinic uh, here in the last four and a half years since I've become the AD, uh, we did those in June, did those meetings. Uh, so I'm actually taking my, my family on a little bit of a vacation next week. However, uh, almost all of our coaches uh, at Bishop Kelly will, will be at the clinic and enjoying it. Uh, I've had great experiences over the years, both as a coach and an AD there. It's a great way to network and obviously great information as well. That's right. I'd, I'd actually seen you know a lot of, I think, this year they really started, you know, hyping up. I think there was a new Twitter account for the athletic directors in Oklahoma and kind of spreading some information. So, yeah, I, you're right. I I remember seeing a lot about that, but it, I've slept a few days since then and totally forgot that it even happened. You're, you're good. 
you know, Emily Barkley, Tony Dillingham, Jason Collar, a group of uh, uh, ADs from the OIAAA kind of put that together and did a great job. It's something that a lot of other states do, and I think it's something that will grow for us uh, moving forward. So since you're going on vacation, does that mean you basically tag in J.J. Tapana? Because I tried texting him the other day and haven't heard back. Is he still out of the country? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't know if I'm ready to turn things over to J.J. yet. Yeah, but, well, most wouldn't, uh, but yeah. You know, he's, yeah, he's, he, he'll, he'll be there. He'll do a great job. Um, uh, coach Berna, our, our volleyball coach, will be there. We'll have a, we'll have a strong contingent. It'll it'll be good times. Good. But, uh, things in Bishop Kelly, I think they'll be pretty smooth with me gone. <laughs> good deal. Well, um, you know, talking about Bishop Kelly, obviously a team that competes at the five A level. Uh, obviously, as a private school, um, you know, we've kind of hit on in this episode talking about the public and private debate in this state, and you know, everyone trying to level the playing field back in 2012 with Rule 14. You know, right. from from your observation, what are your views on it? You know, now that we are seven, eight, nine years into the rule being implemented, right? Yeah, about about eight years. Um, I can tell you, you, you know, you mentioned JJ. You know, a lot of people focus um, public and private wise in the state of Oklahoma on basketball and football, but it's definitely more than that. Um, uh, there are tremendous activities across the state that schools participate in, and, and I will tell you that the public-private debate uh, is not uh, limited to Oklahoma. Uh, all 50 states have some sort of rule or, or some sort of uh, system that they use to kind of deal with it. Um, you know, this last uh, spring, I had the opportunity to sit on a committee uh, reviewing Rule 14, which is the classification rule that involves private schools. Uh, it was led by the OSSA, David Jackson, Mike Whaley. I was one of the private school members, and it was a tremendous opportunity. Um, I think that, that what came from that, if you look at Oklahoma's rule compared to other states, um, the element of success uh, that they measure – uh, the um, way that they have adapted it over the years, the last eight years, uh, I think that you see that Oklahoma is, is fairly progressive in a way that it addresses the public and private issue because every state's a little bit different. Um, you know, in Oklahoma, there really aren't a ton of private schools, uh, although that number has, has almost doubled uh, as far as OSA member private schools since the inception of Rule 14. Um, I think that, that by and large what you'll find is Oklahoma has a very limited number of, of private schools, so that affects things as well. Um, what we saw as a committee, and I think what you see is that Rule 14 as it is, although it's changed a few times over, over the years, uh, as it is, uh, has actually been, been, been very effective when you look at the numbers um, sport by sport. Um, as far as state championships or how you're going to measure success, which I think, you know, that's something that you have to look at sport by sport as well because of participation numbers. But by and large, Rule 14, uh, when you look at the data, and the OSSA will be presenting that, um, I think, later in August. It's going to show in some of that. It's been effective in, in most sports. Now, there are areas where I think that we, we're going to look at some things and try to make some changes um, uh, to make it uh, maybe a little more uh, consistent across the board, uh, sport by sport. Um, but uh, I think that maybe the, the biggest issue that you face with public-private is that perception. You know, people people a lot of times, although we compete a lot of times on the fields or, in, you know, on the baseball diamond and basketball court, um, they don't really spend time in other, inside other people's walls. And I think that they, you, know, you get a perception at times of, well, they're doing this or they're doing that or, or they have this, they have that. Um, uh, you know, I think that at schools it's our job to inform people kind of what we're about um, and what our athletic department is are, are about and, and really what school sports are about. I will tell you that 
something that gets lost a little bit in the shuffle is that athletics um, in schools are an extension of the educational mission. And so uh, in the end, you have to make sure that your programs are fitting what your school's culture is, what the educational culture is. Your coaches are teachers, they're educators, uh, and, and most of them are lifelong ones uh, and great ones. A lot of them spend time in public schools and in private schools, both. Um, some of my mentors, both as coach, coaches, and as ADs, they've spent time in both, and they're in public schools now. And so I think those are the things you face. Those are the challenges you face. And I think Oklahoma and the whole leadership of the OSSA, David Jackson and that gang up there, I think that they, they do a good job of, of trying to respond to things and in uh, uh, addressing issues that come. Um, Coach, one of the things I, I, I heard you say a few times there was kind of sport by sport. Um, if, if there are any tweaks, adjustments made to, to Rule 14, um, could you do you foresee different sports being handled differently, or is that just is that way too complex? Is that opening up uh, way too big a can of worms there? I think it's worth discussing. You, you know, when you look at it sport by sport, the, the landscape is different. Um, when you take a sport uh, like tennis or volleyball, uh, those, those are club driven sports. So those are those are sports that schools have uh, to, to some degree. Um, but they're really club-driven, and and so uh, you know a lot of the, the significant coaching, the events are all, all club-driven, um, and then the schools offer them, um, and they don't offer them at the at the level that they do, say basketball. You know, there's 480 some odd schools in the state of Oklahoma, and virtually all of them play basketball, right? So everyone's playing basketball, whereas you only have a, a handful, 100 or so, that are 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 playing tennis. Um, uh, uh, same with swim. And so when you look at that and you look at the percentage of private schools that, that are comprised within that sport, I think that you'll see that the, the sports where private schools, where, where there are some numbers that, that, that indicate that private schools have an advantage, it is in those sports where there's a higher percentage of private schools participating uh, as compared to, to, say, a sport like, like basketball. And so I think that, you know, you mentioned opening a can of worms looking sport by sport. I, I would agree. I mean, you do kind of go down some roads there. But if you look at data, if you spend your time looking at the data and not, you know, your perception or what you think that you're seeing, you know, most, most good schools are data-driven. Most good decisions are data-driven. So there's no problem looking at that uh, sport by sport. And I think as an as a, as a association, I think that that will probably take place to some degree uh, coming up in the, in the fall meetings. Um, and probably get talked about quite a bit uh, this coming week in the, at the clinic. And it, one of the stances from the public side that people always talk about is the enrollment. Um, you know, they they come back to, you know, private schools have the ability to decline enrollment, whereas a student living within a certain public school boundary, that public school is bound to, I mean, the, they're basically, they have to take them in, basically, is what I'm trying to get at. You know, what from the private side of that, you know, what's your, what's your belief or what's your stance on you know, selective enrollment as the public as the public perceives it that way. Sure, I, you know, I think that's probably the number one thing that, that you look at um, uh, between the difference between a public and a private school. I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, you know, with with selective enrollment, there, there's a couple of things. Yes, a, a school can only get so big, right? And and private schools have the ability to do that. Uh, when you say selective, you have to look at well, how is that school selected? So I'll tell you, Bishop Kelly, where I work. I can't speak for every every school, so I can speak for Bishop Kelly, where I work. Um, better than uh, right around 80% of our population, those kids come from little Catholic feeder parish schools, and so those are kids that come to Bishop Kelly 
um, because they have come up in Catholic schools and that's where they want to be. Um, and so that is that is our population. You're right that it isn't a community. However, where a private school in Oklahoma is a little bit different is we all have boundaries drawn. And, and so every private school has a boundary just like a, a – a, a public school district would. And so when you look at transfer students, when you look at, at students that are not incoming freshmen, but are transfer students, if they don't live within that boundary, then um, uh, it has an effect on their uh, eligibility. Um, with that being said, eligibility is established your freshman year. And that rule it applies to, to private schools and to public schools. And so um, that means that wherever you start your freshman year, whether you're a broken arrow, and you live in Broken Arrow and you get a transfer to a Coweta, uh, incoming freshman year, that's where you're going to establish. And if you try to move from there um, without making a legitimate move, um, uh, then you're not going to be eligible. And so private schools face that same that, that same issue. And, and so when they change that rule as far as eligibility being determined your, your freshman year, it really kind of changed things um, uh, for public and for private schools. Um, but there's no doubt. Um, I think that, that you do see um, – private schools controlling their enrollment, um, that, that does happen. Uh, when we're talking athletics, if, and I've said this before, and I've, uh, you know, to, to OSS board members and so on, as they ask questions, you know, it's my belief that any, any kind of school, any kind of private school that is controlling their enrollment for athletic purposes, it, it's a bad business model. They're doing it for the wrong reasons. You know, private schools have to be able to keep their doors open. They have to be able to have the right amount of personnel. Uh, and so when you start making decisions as a school, that are based on athletics, uh, then I think you're going down a bad path. Private schools, you know, they just like a public school, they have a much bigger vision than just what happens on the football field and the basketball court. Um, uh, and so uh, I, th I think that you do have to take that into account. But Oklahoma has addressed some of those issues, I think, fairly well. Um, one thing that I've, uh, been, I've been doing this for a long time, and one thing I noticed is high school sports is, is, is very cyclical with its fan base, you know, you know, um, parents and, and stuff. They really get into it as their kids are in school. Uh, and so they don't know a lot of the ins and outs. And so this issue comes up a lot of different years when, 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 when you know, parents start to experience certain things. And they go, oh, we got to do something about this. Oh, yeah, you're the first person to ever think about that. But uh, my question for you is, you know, what – would be the, the biggest misconception. And, and the first thing everybody jumps on is the recruiting. This is something that Shaq talked about. And, you know, that's, to me, that that is it. Um, you know, you can say that everybody recruits. One form or another, there's recruiting going on, whether it's parent recruiting. Um, the recruiting is, is so far from um, the heart of this issue to me, but that's just what a lot of people initially jump to. Is there another issue out there to you that you feel that, that the non-public schools, there's there's a big misconception out there about about you guys. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the recruiting. You know, you, you call me, we talk about private schools. Private school rule in, in Oklahoma is Rule 14. It's a classification rule. Uh, and then there's Rule 9. That's the Recruitment for Athletic Purposes rule, and that applies to everybody. Um, and, and you asked me, and, you know, I've had long talks about this as well. Recruiting is not a private school problem. It's, a, it's an across-the-board problem. Um, and I think they always say, you know, David Jackson last year at the area meetings for, for administrators presented uh, some some options for us, Rule 9-wise, to address some of the AAU or club club situations that occur, the linkage uh, rule. 
um, between kids and coaches, I'm all for it. You know, I, and I told them, I think it's it's really important. I do think when you when you mention recruiting, you know, what you see and what you try to address and what you end up trying to deal with, it, it a lot of times it's not institutional recruiting. It is recruiting, like you said, where, you know, uh, this coach said that or this parent said that. Um, I will tell you from, from Bishop Kelly's perspective, so um, obviously all of our coaches by rule – um, they read Rule 9 every year, sign that they acknowledge that they don't do those things, they understand the rule. Uh, we do that with all of our parents and boosters. They all have to sign it before their kid is eligible to participate. Um, I talk about it all of our parents. You try to educate them on how you are presenting yourself and your community when you're communicating with people outside and, and the right way and, and, and what the wrong ways are to do that. Um, so I do think there's a perception of recruiting. I think that there is there are some issues, um, not private school-wise, but school-wise and, and, and club contact-wise, that do need to get addressed. Um, because I'll, I'll be the first one to tell you um, that uh, club coaches and club, and this is this is not a knock, they're great, they're wonderful, but the mission of a club sport or an AAU sport or, or that, that coach in that program is different from that of a school. Again, like I said earlier, you know, a school program is focused on the educational side of things. I, I care about, and our coaches, not, not that there aren't great people in the, in the club realm as well, but, but we care about the growth of that student, that student athlete, and what they're going to become and the lessons they learn from, from athletics. And, and so I think that we have to draw some lines. I think that there could be some more clarity in Rule 9, some harder, harder lines drawn. Uh, I'd be all for it because I do think it's a problem nationwide, not just in Oklahoma. Um, as far as other issues that I see, I think sometimes people get caught up in the, in the public-private and they don't look at the socioeconomic side of things. So when you look at the advantage that, uh, that a private school has, uh, by and large, it's a socioeconomic issue, which is, is not really a private school deal. Um, you can look across the state. There are districts that have a tremendous amount of wealth. Um, their, their property tax, their, their base there is tremendous, and their schools show it. And a lot of times when you look at the numbers testing-wise and, and even in certain athletics, you see that, that there is a distinct advantage socioeconomically with those, with those public schools. And the same can be said for private. Uh, you know, um, is, that a, is that an influence on every sport? No. I mean, I think you look at, at boys' basketball. Uh, you can look at those numbers, those public schools that have success in certain sports. Um, those, those sports a lot of times have a socioeconomic feel to them. Um, and so I do think that that's an issue, but you know, it's not necessarily a public private issue and it's not necessarily an athletic problem. Um, that same issue comes up in an English classroom, um, from a, from a high poverty school versus, versus a low poverty one. So I think that's something that the OSA, I would love to see them address some of that, um, potentially at least look at it, uh, to try and help, uh, those schools that, that struggle, uh, from a socioeconomic standpoint. Well, you made our job extremely easy. I think we threw three or four questions at you, and you pretty much okay. you. I was going to ask you something after my first question, and then you said, "Was well, the committee we talked about this?" Because I was like, "Okay, well, I was going to ask about that." So you pretty much nailed. Okay. You pretty much addressed everything I was wanting to know. Other than where do you plan on going on vacation? I'm uh, going to Gulf Shores. Taking. I've got a ten-year-old boy. It's getting ready to turn eleven. And I have an eight-year-old boy, and they're ready to go to the beach. 
Um, hopefully, hopefully the weather holds out and the, and the water holds out. We'll see how it goes. Well, um, but my wife and I, my wife's an administrator in Tulsa Public Schools, uh, so we've uh, we've waited the last minute. We're going to try and get a vacation. In. Well, you're you're on a podcast with someone who's originally from Alabama, and that's not me. So if you need a, if you need a tour guide, you just hit Michael Swisher up for anything down in the Gulf area. Well, that's, that's what, they call that the Redneck Riviera down there. That's where everybody <laughs> in Alabama goes for vacation. Yeah, I, I love it. We went we went last year. We're ready to go back and go with some friends. And that'll be a good time. The Gulf is beautiful. It's much better than the ocean. I, I definitely recommend the Gulf to everybody. Yep, abs- yep. I yep. I couldn't agree more. Well, Lance, thank you very much, and um, thanks for joining us. And I look forward to talking to you on down the road. Yeah, thank you. I, I really appreciate you guys doing it, and, and good luck with it. And look forward to seeing you guys. Thank you so much for all you do for our program, student athletes across the state. Really appreciate it. You bet. Thanks, man.